Welcome to the Deeper Life Bible Study, coming to you from Identity Church in Deltona, Florida. Now let us hear the expounding of the Word of God, a now word for this moment. So grab your Bible, sit back as we delve into the Word of God, and hear the Logos and Rhema Word. Well, good evening, everybody. All three of you. So, uh, don't give away the secrets. The room, you got the fake applause? I'm preaching to the nations. Here we go. That's right. So this is part two on the book of Psalms. And uh, tonight we're going to talk about Psalms in the book of Revelation. This started from uh, some notes I had from 2005. And normally when I use something from the internet, I know where it's from. And I had print out of an article on Psalms in the book of Revelation. And I went back to look at that article and I'm like, I have no idea who wrote this article. So that's my disclaimer before we start. But I did have good notes, and I went through them, and I updated them, and I found some other things. And uh, one little tidbit I found is John has a very deep understanding of the book of Psalms. He, he understands the prophetic side of them. He knows them well enough that he can use them in like types and shades and hints. Um, many times what is attributed to a psalm in his writing is not a direct quote, but there are direct quotes. So he does both. Um, this comes out of an article on, a, on the Greek New Testament, and he talks about allusions and verbal parallels in, in the Bible. <clears throat> and the book of Psalms, Revelation has 96 of these allusions and parallels in it. From the book of Psalms, okay. which is more than any other book of the New Testament. And this article is a short article. It included a chart of, of the cross-references of these verses. And um, sometimes they're a, a direct quote, and sometimes it's a, like an allegorical or a, an allegory quote, or it could just be an illusion, like it, it's a, there's a hint of it there. I have one example tonight of where it's an exact opposite, but everything is there. So I thought it was neat, and also every chapter in the book of Revelation has a psalm reference in it, even if it's hidden. So I thought that was interesting. And, you know, if you think about it, the book of Psalms is heaven's, heaven's worship book, and one of the best ways to look at the book of Revelation is as a book about worship. So why wouldn't there be all these references to the Psalms? What's really interesting is David wrote most of these 2,000 plus years before John wrote them down. And, and some of them Jesus used and some of them John inserted. So the first one I want to look at is um, Psalms 2, 8, and 9 comparing it to Revelations 2.26 and 27. And I've got some of these written down. I don't have them word for word, and we don't have scripture lists tonight. So you're going to have to let me do a little flipping. And I did my update on this. I used the Passion Translation. So Psalms 2.8 and 9. Ask me to give you the nations, and I will do it, and they shall become your legacy. Your domain will stretch to the ends of the earth, and you will shepherd them with unlimited authority. 
crushing their rebellion as an iron rod smashes jars of clay. So now if you go to Revelation chapter 2, verses 26 to 27... Well, it isn't in this one, but yes. Sorry, I don't have everything tabbed pretty. To everyone who is victorious. So this he's writing this. This is the letter to the church of Thyatira. And we're going to bring that into it too. To everyone who is victorious and continues to do my works to the very end, I will give you authority over the nations to shepherd them with a royal scepter, and the rebellious will be shattered as clay pots. So it's pretty close to a direct quote. Not exactly. So ask me to give you the nations and I will do it. Unlimited authority. An iron rod smashes jars of clay. So here's what some of the early church fathers said about this. The words ask me are there for our benefit, not the sons, Jesus. No one receives a divine gift who does not request it. So he's saying, ask me. The Lord's given you a command. In, in verse 9 of Psalm 2, David's words are applied to the Lord Jesus. The rod is the rod of correction. Remember the rod of correction and discipline, and do not get conceited and proud when you have been filled with the good things of God's gifts and start grumbling against him, because in his anger he will shatter you with it like a potter's vessel. And they went on to talk about how in pottery, before a potter's vessel was kiln dried, if it wasn't perfect, the potter would just break it. And it wasn't ruined. He would just throw it back into the clay pile and work it again. So don't have to think of the brokenness of a clay pot to mean the end, but it will mean transformation. So then in Psalm 2.9, my old buddy Oregon, he said, Crushed to be an inheritance. Consider how the Father gave the nations to the Son as an inheritance, yet he gave the ends of the earth as a possession. Who gives an inheritance so that it may be broken by the air? Interesting. I believe, this, this led me to believe that we're talking about the breaking of the spirits of the nation, not necessarily the literal breaking of the nations. Let's see what else I got here on this. Before we go on to the next one. So now we're going to go to Psalm 89, verse 27. I'm sitting, setting him apart, favoring him as my firstborn son. I will make him the most high king in all the earth. That's Psalm 89, 27. Here's Revelation 1, 5. And from, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from among the dead, and the ruling king who rules over the kings of the earth. So, we got 
Jesus is the firstborn who conquered death. We have a threefold description of Jesus in this verse, in Revelation 1.5. The faithful witness describes him as the prophet. The firstborn of the dead is the high priest. And Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. They show him as a king. So there's a, a trinity within a trinity there. And I'm going to go back, when I'm done, I'm going to go back and talk a little bit about Thyatria, because that was in the first one. So, no, um, I'm not going to do that right now, because it'll just mess it up. Uh, Revelation 1 5, and it was Psalm 89 27. All right. So now we're going to shift over to. So the first church we were talking about that involved the Psalms was the Church of Thyatria. Now we're in Sardis. And I'm going to use Psalm 69 28 and Revelation 3 5. So I'm going to start this one a little differently because I want to tell you a little bit about the church at Sardis to see if that enlightens us at all. Um, capital of the ancient kingdom of Lydia, this, the king of Sardis had legendary wealth. He was not a prob- There was not a money problem there. The Lydians invented metal coins. Sardis is a modern city of Sart in Turkey. Uh, church history, it was founded by the Apostle John. So here John's writing about a church that he founded. Uh, It corresponds to the Reformation Church of the 16th century, if you want to look at it like comparatively. So we're going to use Revelation 3.5, and it also refers here to Daniel 12.1. So we'll come back to that when we get done with the reading. Revelation 3.5. So I'm going to start with 3.5 because we've been talking about Revelation. And the one who experiences victory will be dressed in white robes. And I will never, no never, erase your name from the book of life. I will acknowledge your name before my Father and his angels. A couple things in that verse. You know, I don't know how many times they say the Father and his angels. But it really made me think about the fact that they aren't Jesus' angels. They belong to the Father. And that was a little bit, that has nothing to do with what we're studying, but that one caught my eye tonight when I was reading that. Says the Father and so still calling them his. He's owning them. They're his possession. His. Sure. So now let's read 69.28, and let's look at the difference. And this is David talking to the Lord. And it's kind of a, for David, they say this is a praise psalm, but David's complaining. Leave them out of your list of the living. Blot them out of your book of life. Never name them as your own. So it's the exact opposite of what John used. John said, I will never, no, never erase your name from the book of life. I will acknowledge your name before my father. So he he flipped it. 
So what's the significance of that? Another church was, you know, you think about this, the church was threatened. These are all stories about churches who were threatened with losing their lampstand, losing their light, so to speak. And here we have David in a complaint in a psalm asking God to do really a bad thing to his enemies. And in Revelation 3.5, we have Jesus saying, well, the one who experiences victory... So the overcomer, in other words, that's how they, in the Passion Translation, instead of saying the overcomer, they say the one who experiences victory. He flips it. You will always be dressed in white robes, and I will never, no never, erase your name from the book of life. We're really talking about here is salvation. That's what this is really about. Yeah, the book of life. So... What does my note say about Daniel 12.1? And I don't even have a Bible with me that I can read Daniel 12.1 out of. Refer to Daniel 12.1. We see how the archangel Michael does this for Israel. In Psalm 69.26-28, it is the doom of our enemies just as the salvation of our Lord is our protection. So again, an opposite, antithesis. Well, Daniel 12.1 is when Daniel fought against principality on his way to bring Daniel his answer to prayer, and he was delayed. Yes. Yeah, read Daniel 12.1. Okay. Uh, at the time, Michael, the archangel, who stands guard over your nation, will arrive. Then there will be a time of anguish greater than any since nations first came into existence. But at that time, every one of your people whose name is written in the book will be rescued. Will be rescued. So... Daniel is a flip. Daniel is like Revelation 3.5. David wrote the opposite in Psalm 69. Yeah. Yes. But Daniel, Daniel saw the prophetic of Jesus in it. But David has a lot of times where he did that. It's just interesting the way John chose to use the scripture. John chose to use it to flip it. I mean, he did it on purpose. It wasn't... So, how many more of these do I have? I've got a couple more. So, Psalm 33.3. i got to look this one up. Hang on. Thirty-three-three. It's a short one. But it's got a pretty good meaning to it. Compose new melodies that release new praises to the Lord. Play his praises on instruments with the anointing and skill he gives you. Sing and shout with passion. Make a spectacular sound of joy. So now let's read Revelation 5 9. Yep. And I'm actually going to back up. I'm going to start in 7 because you get the, the, the scenery here. I saw the young lamb approach the throne and take the scroll from the right hand of the one who sat there. 8. And when the 24 elders and the four living creatures saw the lamb had taken the scroll, 
They fell face down at the feet of the lamb and worshipped him. Each of them had a harp and golden bowls brimming full of sweet fragrant incense, which are the prayers of God's holy lovers. And they were all singing this new song of praise to the lamb. And it goes on to say, Because you were slaughtered for us, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. Your blood was the price paid to redeem us. You purchased us to bring us to God. That's salvation. Out of every tribe, language, people, group, and nation, you have chosen us to serve our God and formed us into a kingdom of priests who reign on the earth. So if you go back to Psalm 33.3 and you read the footnote that is in the Passion Translation, it goes on to talk about these new songs. And here it says, and I think he missing one, he says, there are seven new songs mentioned in the Bible. Six are in the book of Psalms, and he lists them, and I could tell you them. They're 33, 3, 43, 96, 1, 98, 1, 144, verse 9, and 149, verse 1, and one in Isaiah, Isaiah 42, 10. So whenever there's something like unique, like that, I gotta go look. Well, why is there only one, why is there one stuck in Isaiah? So you read Isaiah forty two ten, and it says, "Sing to Yahweh a brand new song, sing His praise until it echoes from the ends of the earth. Sailors and sea creatures praise Him. Islands and all their inhabitants sing His praise." And then if you look at the footnotes here, it throws you back to Revelation five nine. Every new thing God does requires a new song to declare it, it says. Well, doesn't every move of God have a new, new worship? Yeah. So here we are again in the throne room. We have the worship book. We have John seeing the worship book in action in the throne room. And we have Isaiah who prophesied everything talking about it too. So kind of interesting complexity to that one. So you want two more? That might get us to a half hour. So Psalm 2-2. By the way, John eats up the second psalm. John uses the second psalm in his own gospel a lot. He saw all the prophetic in it, and he used it, and he, and he believed, more, more than he used it, he obviously believed in it, because if you think about it, he didn't um, just say, oh, I want to use Psalm 2-2. He knew it. He'd heard it. He, 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 didn't, he, he probably had read it, but again, John was a fisherman. You know, had John ever read the book of Psalms? He probably heard it his whole life. He probably, he probably never read it. Until, but he wrote, so he was schooled enough to write. You know, but when at that point in life, he was also a very old man when he wrote the Book of Revelation. So he had his whole, the wisdom of his whole life stored up inside of him, and he had the ear. He heard God directly. So I saw this matchup, and I just liked it because it's Psalm two two and Revelation nineteen nineteen. And when I see something matchy-matchy like that, that kind of gets my attention. So I was like, well, I hope this works. Look at how, here's Psalm 2-2. Look at how the power brokers of the world rise up to hold their summit 
as the ruler's scheme and confer together against Yahweh and his anointed king. Goes on in the next verse, saying, Let's come together and break away from the Creator. Once and for all, let's cast off these controlling chains of God and his Christ. So now let's go look at Revelation 19, 19. And this is one of those ones that's kind of, it's a little hidden. It's not as, it's there, but it's not a quote. The content's there, yeah. Sorry, taking a little time here. Then I saw the wild beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to wage war against the rider on the white horse, who was who? Jesus. And against his armies. The wild beast, verse 20, was captured as was the false prophet. So that it's really verse 19. So then I saw the wild beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to wage war against the rider of the white horse and against his armies. Compare that to... Look at how the power brokers of the world rise up to hold their summit as the ruler's scheme and confer together against Yahweh and his anointed king. So it's, it's, it's subtle. It's not, it's not an opposite. It's not direct. But it's definitely there. So on the last one I got, there's more of these. I tried to decide, you know, how many of these am I going to offer to you? Psalm 141 Verse 2. Let my prayer be as the evening sacrifice that burns like the fragrant incense, rising as my offering to you as I lift up my hands in surrender worship. And this is with Revelation 8.3. The nice thing is, is in the Passion Translation, the book of Psalms comes after the book of Revelation. So this is actually pretty easy to do. <laughs> All right, 8.3. Then the eighth angel with a golden incense burner, came and took his place at the incense altar. He was given a great quantity of incense to offer up, consisting of the prayers of God's holy people, upon the golden altar that is before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the holy ones billowed up before God from the hand of the angel. That was verses 3 and 4. Let my prayer be as the evening sacrifice that burns like fragrant incense, rising as my offering to you as I lift up my hands in surrendered worship. So here David is talking, in one way, he's comparing his hands to the hands, and John is using his hands as the angel's hands in his writing. And then we have prayers and incense, that common reference.
So in the note for 8.3, in the Passion, it says, the eighth, This eighth, or another messenger, taking his place at the golden altar, is Christ, our great high priest. And the great quantity of incense is his intercession, which he mingles with ours. See Psalm 141.2, Hebrews 3.1, a bunch of verses in, in Hebrews. No angel is ever seen doing the work of the high priest as in this chamber, as in this chapter. Interesting. So, they're saying that this is Jesus. Well, it is the Lamb who breaks open the seventh seal. Doesn't change. Um, you're right. It could be nobody else. So that's I don't know six or seven of these. There's 21 chapters. There's at least one in every chapter. So what can we kind of conclude from this? See if I can read from this conclusion in this article and make it make sense. I don't like using big words like hermeneutical, but that word's in this sentence. Can we say anything about John's hermeneutical stance towards the Psalms? Can we say anything about how John used the Psalms to write the book of Revelation, basically what that means? Can, can I interject yes. a thought? Yes. Just a thought. Oh, you can. How many times do we just read Scripture and we don't ask Holy Spirit to give us the same revelation? Because obviously John asked. Yes, I'm saying we're saying John quoted so much of the Psalms, especially Psalms two. Mm -hmm. How you know when it talks to meditate, hide thy word in thy heart; it will not sin against thee. Would you would you start hiding the Psalms? You start hiding uh, the worship. The, the I believe you're opening the door to your own personal prophetic encounters mm -hmm. that will give you uh, the confidence in, in the same message. And, and that's just really tapping. The word is becoming a gateway into that throne room. It's an invitation. So if David got it, John got it, why can't Rodney and Charlie get it? Right. As I kind of re-engaged for this group of studies, I will tell you in the last four months, or I've just pecked away at the Psalms. Once in a while, I would read one. I wasn't studying them. I wasn't like trying to march through them or anything. So kind of getting back into this has gotten me back into the Psalms. And I can tell I, I you know, and hearing what you just said, I, I don't care that this is a four-week Bible study. I need it's to stay invitation. there. It's an, yeah, it's an, yeah. The, the Psalms, I believe, is an invitation to have the same encounter. And it's, and it's easy, you know, like we talked about last week. Yeah, some of the Psalms are harder to read than others, but they're all real. They're all inviting. Even the ones that David writes and he's just complaining, we have our own complaints, our own laments. So David was just being real. But look what he plugged into, like Charlie said. I, I believe it's gateways. That's good. The word itself becomes a gateway and an invitation for you to have the same encounters that David had and John had. Yeah. 
Definitely. So John saw the Psalms as prophetic. He saw the second Psalm speaking of the victory of Jesus as the Messiah. And to him, he very much would have been Messiah as John is a Jew. Psalm 89 offers him a description of a firstborn faithful witness and ruler of kings of the earth. We, we, we saw other glimpses. We saw opposites. We saw sideways glances. And we saw direct quotes. And there's another, I'm going to give, I'll give, we got two guys here tonight. I can give them both the lists. There's, there's others. Now I'll be honest with you, as I was preparing for this, I looked up a couple of them. And I was like, I can't use that. I can't even see it. Well, so probably those are the ones I need to go back and meditate on. Because I couldn't see the, I couldn't even, I was like, that's not there. Well, it is there. But, but I think that's, that's just where you look at the, revel- the, the people with the revelatory gift, they, the word is alive. Right. You've got to find the light in it. I, I believe it's an invitation. Right. Press into to, it. To, press, to lean. Yep. I'm, I'm, I'm getting around some people who go, hey, would you lean into that? What does that mean? Meditate on it. Right. Regurgitate it. Stay with it for a while. Holy Spirit, show show me what am I missing? Mm-hmm. Now, one of my first encounters with the Living Word, you know, because realized I I couldn't read, so I was very childlike in my reading. And it was it was a chapter in the Book of Luke. It was two verses, and it came off the page in vision form, and I saw four sets of three of mean different meanings of the same two scriptures. Mm-hmm. The four sets was the four faces of God. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the three was coming from the father's perspective, the Holy spirit's perspective and Jesus's perspective. So right. The, the, the word is alive. It, it's a, it's an invitation to have an encounter with the word, which is Christ. Yes. I mean, you're you're proven scripturally that David had it by revelation. That's why he perfected. Yeah, David definitely had it by revelation. Okay, but then John did too. Right. And some of what John wrote was what Jesus said. Why can't I? Right. Yes. That's powerful. And and then if not only that, but one character is on one side of the cross, and one character is on on the other. And, and I'm, I'm also kind of interested, and I'll probably do this as a personal study, is to look at, well, what did John do with the Psalms in his own gospel? Because right. that would have been where he started using them. You know, that was, you know, did he build on it? I don't even know if, I'm sure there's got to be some references in the letters, even though they're short. It's still John. Yeah. So, well, that's what I have for you tonight. So thank you, and God bless, and uh, we'll see you again next week. All right. Have a good night. Thank you for tuning in to today's message from Identity Church. To know more about us, go to IdentityChurch.net, where you'll find resources such as a calendar, media, and upcoming events. You may also download an app for your mobile device from the Apple App Store or Google Play. Then from your mobile device, you can hear our messages, read from the Bible, take notes, connect with us on the social media, and even pay your tithe. Again, thank you for tuning in to today's message from Identity Church.